hi, this is Amy Mulder or Mrs. Daft Prawn on Twitter and Instagram, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. I'm going to clean you out again. I don't know. I'm feeling lucky. You've seen the show, and like us, you have questions. Ooh, that was a good one, but try this one on for size. No question should be left off your list. Whoa, 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 I got a crazy theory, but hear me out. But you better have some spares. Oh, that was one of mine. All right, let's do this instead. With me, as always, is my friend and Card Squadron winger. This is Greg Cass, a.k.a. Ion Cannon. We've recorded at home and across the U.S., Last summer, we were from the Boston Common. This week, we're in Chicago. This is day three of celebration. The show has had many names, but the purpose is the same. Let's share some time at the table. Ding, ding, it's time for breakfast. Welcome to The Breakfast Pack, a Rebel Base Card micro podcast series. A returning Star Wars insert podcast that asks more questions than it answers. Today, we're asking questions on Mandalorian Season 3, Chapter 18, and Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 12, The Outpost, which both premiered on Disney Plus on Wednesday, March 8th. Along with me, Greg McLaughlin, is my co-host and fellow Card Squadron winger, Gregory Cass from Ion Cannon on Instagram and Hive. Greg, how are you doing this evening? Good evening. I'm doing quite well. Again, the uh, the cup runneth over with Star Wars goodness. <laughs> uh, I myself enjoyed two episodes of television this week, the usual round of comics, and then I've been uh, leaning hard back into Jedi Fallen Order because uh, the new novel came out to prepare for the mm. next game. Plus, I've been replaying the first game. So, yeah, it's it's just a great time to be a Star Wars fan. You know, except if you're me playing Jedi Fallen Order, then basically Cal Castus has several death wishes, and I just feel I feel guilty every time I fire it up. But um, since my son has the PS5, I'll be super in- interested. And in, you know, like there were there were games where basically he'd invite me. And it's like, hey, I'm playing. Won't you watch? And I, you, know, you do a lot of the cutscenes and seeing where it's going. I'll be really curious about seeing the the quality of the graphics. And you know, it, it's going to be hard not to like just go to YouTube and get the story. Mm. Um, but I, I don't feel bad about missing out because, you know, Fallen Order, which is really nice, and I'll eventually, you know, work my way through it. it it's it's a great game. It's just very hard for a non-gamer uh, like I am, so it's it, like anything else. But uh, it's good to hear about the book as well. This is an insert series podcast in the regular feed. I should say irregular or regular feed because this is episode 50 of The Breakfast Pack. Can you believe it? Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um, You have been here through nearly all of them. You are running only a couple behind, but I would say given everything that's happened since we first started with the Bad Batch, uh, (laughs) we got a pretty good track record, I'd have to say. We will be trading questions that we have not talked about before, so there's, of course, a chance we could take another's question. Now, of course, since we are talking about a current series of Star Wars, series is plural, If you have not seen either of these two episodes, this is a warning that there will be spoilers for these shows. If you haven't watched yet, we invite you to please come back and listen after you've watched. For this contest of questions, there are no points, bonuses, or lightning rounds, but there is the Greg's List, which is a selection of podcasts and other assorted media that we ingested, and trust me, there were a lot of them, between shows to see if they have answered any of our questions, and then some. It's also one of my favorite parts of the show as it highlights just some of the amazing work being done out there in the community. And brother, there's a lot of work happening out there in the community. (laughs) We hope you check some or all of these. It's impossible to check them all. Uh, But maybe find a new content creator you like and want to support. Greg, I'm kind of burying the lead, but I would say there was a huge uptick in the amount of podcast content. And it was tough to get through you know, a lot of them, you know, either you'd have to maybe like up the speed a little bit, or in some cases you're looking for shorter ones. But I'm kind of curious what you felt. How did you feel about attacking your podcast and, and or Substack feeds this week? 
Oof, I was green with envy for all the people who uh, admitted that they watched Bad Batch early because they still had screeners <laughs> and kind of there was a big round of, oh, we recorded this before we saw Mando. And then there were people who got invited to the Mando premiere. Uh, Sky Talkers were there, um, I know, and, and a couple others. So they'd seen two Mandos. And so then we're reserving comment till uh, I think Sky Talkers waited till the second one dropped so that they could. Uh, but there's a lot of goodness, like you're saying. Uh, I'm just going to keep this so brief since we have so much to cover and I'll just focus in on uh, this week I'll just share I really enjoy Ringerverse which I think um, is a little outside the fan community it's you know it's it's from a professional uh, company the Ringer um, but they're two uh, uh, women uh, who do the deep dive show not the initial show there's a Midnight Boys reaction and then the, the women take over a few days later I think they did two and a half hours on the Mando premiere and it was wow. so amazing to listen to and I found time for it all. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I think, you know, the coverage is, is slanting a little that way towards the Mando side of the house. Uh, but sneaking in a couple Bad Batch shows was also really important to me. Shout out to all the shows still doing both. And, and there are a lot of them. And, you know, I'm going to do a special shout out to uh, the Colby cast because I think he had his pulse on the, on the trigger of what you needed to do. As a matter of fact, this week they even managed to throw in some NHL news because uh, the kids were not happy that uh, Jonathan Quick was traded from the uh, from the LA Kings. And so I would say, in addition to doing Batch and Mando and even you know The Last of Us, uh, a little hockey news in there. So you know, for those of us who are trying to get through a lot of podcasts, uh, well done on you. And uh, I would say also second shout out to the Colby Cast. They recently had an episode with the grandfather, father slash Mister Mead, and I would say what a great episode. You know, you, you think it's going to be one thing, and then they start going over the fact that they have been, you know, uh, the dad was Kings fan since day one in 67, um, you know, during the expansion, I think. And just talking about all that, all that great stuff, it was an amazing episode. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I had to take my list and kind of mark it as either M for Mando or B for Batch because I was trying to go through <laughs> a lot of it. Um, you know, Coffee with Kenobi had, you know, Corey and Colby, speaking of Colby, on. Uh, very strong episode. Listen to that uh, over the weekend. And then, of course, Ross Holliban, your friend and mine, was on the Batch version of the CWK feed. Um, reactions, uh, you know, was backing with Mando and Batch. Uh, streaming with the Mouse, I listened to them because they do a lot of different Disney news and shows and stuff, and it's kind of nice to kind of check in with them for uh, on occasion. Um, Mark and Mark from Fanthatrax, Molecaster, and Newbold uh, were back with their reaction shows and a nice tight twenty-five minute show. Uh, nice. So they're back at doing that because they got a lot of podcasts to, to do as well. Uh, the usuals, Krypton to Alderaan. Uh, Jen had a had a busy week, and as a matter of fact, she even had you on recently. That episode, she hasn't <laughs> uh, she hasn't uh, released, or at least she is in the process of releasing it. But she's doing a lot of Oscar takes because the Oscars are this weekend, and so her and I think it's Antonio did a lot of writing on her Substack. That is Substack. Uh, was it like the long take dot substack dot com? And then you were with her for some Oscar talk as well. I'm like, my, you know, it's like, wow, um, it was really, really fun to at least see the screenshot. <laughs> Antonio took uh, the first chunk of category. So he took the what's called the above the line. So he did best picture, the actors races, uh, screenplay awards. Uh, I got the next chunk, which included <laughs> uh, documentary, international, animated all the shorts and score. So not only are, am I there deep diving on the Oscars, but you got to be deep, deep into your Oscar viewing <laughs> before you get to the ones <laughs> I, I was reviewing with her. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And, and you know, uh, I think she's really hit on something, which is uh, embedding the podcast into Substack, which I didn't know was possible, but is really nice. Uh, once again, I will do an unsolicited shout out for the Substack app, which is nice because you can play it from there. Uh, you can also get out and it's still playing like sometimes like if you're in YouTube or something mm -hmm. where you'll play something and you'll kind of like get out of the app. It, it, it cuts it off. So I would say a uh, good honor. And I'm looking forward to listening to to you both uh, kind of talk on it just like her last. Uh, it, it sounds like she's been doing it forever. And you're like, wow, this is this is really amazing stuff. Um, oh, lastly, um, very nice shout outs for the conversation I had with John and Mary Jo Tenuto on the main show on the radio dramas. Uh, very nice feedback. Uh, very kind words. Uh, 
some being said. And shout out to um, Carl over at the Wampus Layer, who they dove back not only into the um, the Mandalorian themselves, and I was listening to a little bit of that today as well. But uh, anyway, some ni- nice comments, and it was a fun interview. If you haven't had a chance, I really uh, suggest you try it out because their book, The Winds That Shook the Stars, is coming out in July. Uh, it's available for pre-order wherever you find your books, and uh, it's going to be really, really good, and I cannot wait to get my hands on that book. All right. So I, we didn't necessarily flip a coin to see what show we're <laughs> going to talk about first, but I did feel that, you know, just be- with the deluge um, of content on The Mandalorian that I did kind of want to get to Batch first this week, uh, which was definitely in a different place in time in their series than Mando. So I'm gonna, we're going to switch to that part of our notes. Um, and I'm curious, Greg, what's going to be your first question? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, uh, Batch had the uh, kind of spiritual sequel to the uh, first Crosshair episode, which I think would be episode three of this season. Um, so it was nice to check back in with Crosshair and get back there. Um, my first question <laughs> is clearly the most important, uh, perhaps unanswerable question. Where is the Empire getting these snotty officers <laughs> from uh, all the time? Uh, so while that's a joke question, I just want to say, what are you, what are you making of this? Do you have a, an in-universe reason why we are suddenly getting these really awful, awful people coming out into the Empire? It was definitely it was definitely like Rampart Light, um, but not as good, right? It's sort of like if you prefer, if you're really a big Beatles fan and you kind of fire up wings, it's kind of good, but not quite there. Um, but I would say, as far as this is concerned, this kind of reminds me of all that Vietnam talk about the 90 day wonders, right? The lieutenants that would come mm. up, uh, they really didn't have a clue what was going on and they were instantly snuffed out. And I, I think that, although that doesn't necessarily take a question I had, I was like, it was just a matter of time before Lieutenant Nolan was going to bite it. Um, but yeah, I would say... It definitely kind of shows, it clearly shows the contempt. It's amazing the contempt that these newer officers that are coming in are having for it. Remember, he says, you know, I don't like used equipment. And you're just like, dude, you're mm. getting in a, a whole ship full of this. I don't know what where you're coming <laughs> from. But uh, it, it was kind of interesting. But yet it clearly shows that you've got a lot of newer folks coming in. Did you see, you saw all the troops there on mm. Coruscant. I mean, those... Those stormtroopers are getting, it seems like they made a point to show just how many more are there as we are seeing some clone officers. I, I don't, you know, or, you know, the guys with the caps uh, being yeah, kind yeah. of shown the door and they're like, what do we do now? And I'm like, really? You guys didn't really put this together. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I was kind of surprised that he was, you know, it, it really was um, over the top. Like you could even tell this guy, you know, like <laughs> even, even the blonde hair, he was like, man, this guy is so green. Um, but apparently it wasn't a great mission, right? Mayday, you know, Commander Mayday really pointing out like, oh, you got, you came here. Didn't, yeah, so at any rate, but that, that's my <laughs> take. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, you know, there's no canon explanation, but it does seem like, you know, um, there's a lot of examples from history. Um, I'm reading a set of books set in the British Navy around the War of 1812, and there would be these kind of privileged sons of, you know, muckety-mucks in England who could privilege their way into a rank or to a, an officer's position in the ships without going through the ranks. And that's what this feels like. It's like if we're really pushing out all the clones, then we have to fill those up positions not just the grunts and the troopers um because we've seen from clone wars you know if you if you're on the venator you have you you are in there as the kind of commander of or of the the vessel but then all around him they're clones manning every station there's not a huge number of of officers so i think the idea is right that they're filling these ranks fast and and i think you gave the right analogy there which is like these guys that are just not going to survive and you know probably came from a pretty cushy life not going to want to hang out on a snowy planet so a uh, nice little bit of universe building and, and really fun and it just makes you you know love to see him go right so all right hit me with your first question Boy, in one case, I was really surprised. Were you surprised that the cargo was armor or stormtrooper outfits? It seems like, you know, yes, of course, there's not going to be a Ross for less in the in the mid rent. But I was really surprised that they're really going 
to great lengths to hide this, but I thought it's an odd place to hide it. You would think that there would be a manufacturing facility that they would hide, I guess, it at. But I, I, I was I was expecting more than just trooper outfits. What about you? <laughs> I definitely was. I have some questions about the logistics of this. So you have a <laughs> massive shipment of armor and you just ship it off to this icy outpost just to have it sit there for a long time and then come back in. Um, I don't quite get it. Maybe I missed a line or two that might offer more explanation, but I was shocked. Um, and, you know, I guess if I'm thinking of the themes of the episode, that's part of the point. These these guys are now so expendable that they're just guarding armor that we know from 45 years of Star Wars is not good armor. It will not protect anyone. Uh, often shatters as soon as a, a bolt hits it. So um, it's really interesting because they're treating it like a hard commodity to get, which, you know, from Attack of the Clones on, it always just seems like it doesn't matter. It's just always around. So a really curious pick um, and certainly one that I think was more about adding insult to injury than any kind of logistical military planning <laughs> i i think that's exactly it i think it was it had to be you know for, for the for the episode really to hit home and i think the you know the, the feelings that it got hit home it had to be something really you hate to say stupid but you have to say really inconsequential is mm. the term that you know they put a lot of they put a lot of importance on something that yeah, really you could have stored anywhere no one was no one was looking for it <laughs> you know at any rate uh, I'm going to go with, uh, what did you think about the setting of this story? What do you think the setting added to the story? Because I think, um, it really was an interesting choice there as well. We've been to snowy planets before and snowy planets for my money, as somebody who's not an expert are hard to animate. So why do you think they went for this? What, what do you think they were going for? I, I think it's going to, we're eventually dancing around, it adds to something that we're dancing around anyway is like we really want to hit home that we're pushing crosshair to the edge. Mm. And I think it adds one more layer to it. Whereas, you know, I guess it could have been for that matter, it could have been a desolate planet that the conditions there, cause you could see as they are walking home, like you could see it on a, on a desert planet, just as easy as anything else there. But I, I do think I do think it adds to it, and I also think that just given how good everything looks, this may also be a decision where it's like, yes, it was tricky, but now we've just gotten so much better that it does kind of make it, I guess, more visually interesting, and because we spent a lot of time on desert planets recently, you know, that <laughs> maybe it was just time to try something else, and, you know, I don't, you brought up the owl, which I didn't go back and look uh, again but, you know, the first time when they're looking up and they're looking at the ice vulture, let's just say for whatever reason that's what it was, that's sure. the first thing that hit, hit in my mind going, hey, it, there's that owl again. But no, it wasn't. It was something else. But, yeah, I just think the the conditions had to also add to it. But, you know, at this point, I think it just makes it more interesting just given where we've been. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You were making me think about how we just got Senator Chuchi back. And I think that would be the first Clone Wars episode with snow. So it'd be an interesting kind of double feature to go from that one to this one and just see how much the uh, advancing uh, technology has has made the show more beautiful. Um, I, I for a time was following along with a podcast that was helping you watch the Clone Wars in chronological order. And Ooh. what was most jarring about that is that you would jump from like season season one to season five and it would be like oh man like this really uh looks terrible like, or more when you you jump the other way from season five to season one as as you did with some of those uh early episodes so um so yes i think that i think it is a way to show off and i did also bump on that bird i was like is that the same bird or are we just getting a theme you know in uh ancient greek literature among other places um, they always look to the birds. And if an eagle passes through the Iliad, you know that the characters are going to react to it and, and change their behaviors as a, an omen there. So um, the other one, I the other thing I wanted to shout out is, is it does help, as you said, kind of escalate the emotion.
iterations of Crosshair. And director Bennett pointed out to me, and of course he figured this out because this is one of his favorite movies of all time, is it makes you think of The Thing from John Carpenter and that kind of desolation at the outpost in the Arctic. And while there doesn't end up being really a monster there of any kind, we have these raiders. Um, well, uh, or or was the the officer the monster there? Maybe mm, maybe there's a message there. I like that uh, better. But, I like that better. Uh, but yes, I think it, it was meant to be reminiscent of that. And he, I think, even found a couple of shots that he said were very direct homages. So very cool stuff. Oh, all right. Well, we know that... We know basically it comes down to Mayday and Crosshair. And it's really a shame. I really, you know, speaking of the animation, I really love the, I really love Mayday's outfit. You know, that mm. was kind of like built for, as a matter of fact, like the beard and everything. It's once again, they have brought some of these clones in only to, you're like, oh, that's really interesting, only to kill them off pretty fast. And so this would have been another one that I would like to see some more about because, you know, they had a whole squad. I loved the helmets being lined up for the for the clones who'd passed. And then he, he kind of, you know, buys it at the end. But I was, I was kind of, I guess, surprised, not surprised. Do you feel that, were you surprised that Crosshair got pushed to the brink here now in this way this is i'm trying to tie this question in <laughs> well i want to give a shout out i'm going to hold it up on screen but you Ooh. can't see it um i follow a great art account on instagram it's called prince by porkins as in red six who dies on yavin four and he already put up some fan art of mayday and he does i i followed him because he does simple postcard t style designs and I, I grabbed a bunch of the Kenobi ones when that show was on but it's it's really a nice little tribute piece and it, it immediately when I saw it like I think it was up yesterday or maybe it was this morning I was like that shows you they did something right with the design that an artist said I gotta draw that today I can't let that simmer so um, you're kind of stealing one of mine I will I said one of my questions was what finally broke crosshair and it was why now and why why is it this? And, you know, I think you really do have to go to the first episode we saw him in with the monotony of the routine of getting mm -hmm. up and eating breakfast by himself and being so devalued. And this was like, OK, finally, he gets a connection to somebody Mayday and finds himself opening up to a new brother after losing his brothers in the, the Clone Force 99. And he's just thrown away for no good reason. And I think that means Crosshair knows there's doesn't matter how much he does here. doesn't matter how successful he is at serving the empire. He's going to be tossed out like trash too. And I think he finally said, I'm not going to do it. Or if I'm doing it, if I'm going down, I'm going to take you with me. <laughs> um, so I think, I think it was all of that woven into the kind of paranoia of the snowstorm and the, the harrowing journey they went back on, he's carrying his brother, right? Just the physical exertion of carrying him through the storm only to have him die on the footsteps because nobody wants to spare a med pack. It's it's brutal and it's dark. It's it's not kids show fare. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, as we've been kind of trying to figure out like where Crosshair is going to end up, you know, the whole season, I think this... The, you know, it really punctuates it. And, you know, we've kind of been trained up to this point to know that the season is moving along at this kind of speed, at this kind of a clip. And, you know, I, I do kind of like the fact that this show allowed this particular story or the story of him to breathe a bit. You know, we saw that in his you know appearance earlier in the season. And you're kind of like, you know, it's interesting and it does kind of lead you know, when all roads lead to our next question uh, and about that, I think it's a nice way to do it. I, I do also like the fact that it wasn't in a way that he was like, all right, I'm going to get up and leave. He was just like, you know what? I am more interested in ending you than anything else. And I kind of like that because that seems very crosshair yet, you know, rather than just I'm out of here and leaving. So he, he does leave, but it's not of his own accord. <laughs> and so I have a feeling I know where we're kind of going for this last question. Uh, so I'm going to yield the floor because I'm really curious about how you're going to phrase this. I'll, I went as simple as I could make it. Why did Mount Tantus want crosshair? What is the goal in bringing him into this mix here? All right. 
And and that was kind of, you know, like I said, I, I kind of had a couple different ways to phrase some of this, but I would say, yes, it kind of took, it c- took some of the question, but let's talk about it. So it's clear that Mount Tantus is the rally point for the season. Mm. And it's interesting because, and I'm going to take another one of mine off the board. It, it's interesting about where it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing for me. It's like, does, are they doing this? to you know set a trap for omega and the bad batch or is it just something that the batch find out oh yeah while they're while they're you know while they end up on you know mount tantus in another fashion oh hey by the way crosshairs here hey hey guys down down the down the cell block is but it is interesting and i would say that even though you know because Crosshair was still in his black trooper armor. They had not made him get rid of that, you know, even though, like, so they still understand that he had value, even though they weren't going to tell him that. There was still some value in his, you know, in his DNA, as it were. And so I'm sure that, you know, they were very interested in, in acquiring any of Clone Force 99, although I don't necessarily know, think they know that Clone Force 99 is still alive. And and mm. I was kind of scratching my head too, wondering like, well, how do they know Omega's still alive? Because shouldn't she have also been thought to have perished on Camino? So I, I don't necessarily know if I really even answered that now that I've said it out loud. But I'm still tr- I'm still figuring at some point it's like whose story, you know, who, who's there for whom? Is it is Crosser there to add more to the genetic mix, or is he going to be put as sort of a trap for Omega or both? Hmm. And I, I'm going to add a, a similar set of questions to it, which is, you know, when we're thinking about Mount Tantus, and this comes from a lot of what I listened to this week about Bad Batch, is Mount Tantus, do they have a clear goal in mind and everything's being driven towards uh, cloning Palpatine? Or is this just everything they can learn about genetics is of note? And so if that's the case and they know this uh, deviant clone or this this bad batcher is it there and available maybe they just want to pull them in and get those skills in the mix and oh you know what um, it's really nice to have some sharpshooters let's start mixing them in uh, with our troopers or what have you um, so I had leaned more that way that they're just kind of collecting interesting genetic samples and are going to keep filling their vaults with different uh, beings to collect that but I like your thinking that, you know, depending on what Lama Sue said, that this could be bait for the Bad Batch. Um, you know, the thinking, I, I think you're right to be asking the question of how do they even know any of the Batch got out? Um, you know, we had Wilco, right, knew that mm-hmm. they had, and then he was snuffed out. Um, is Rampart talking? You know, did Rampart admit it? Rampart went down for other crimes, so I don't know why he'd just volunteer some things to tack onto a sentence. So, um, you know, I think I think it, it's probably unlikely then that it's directly bait at this time, but I think you're right to say this was one of those episodes that's arranging the pieces so that we get to the finale and everybody's where they need to be. Ah, good point. Good point. All right, I'm going to squeeze this one in um, because this one—it's a little speculation, but let's—you know—I'm going to take a couple of assumptions, mm. uh, so we can we can forget about it later when we actually are scoring points at the end of the end of the, end of the season. <laughs> Does the batch potentially lose Omega to gain Crosshair, or vice versa, if we're assuming Omega gets in the clutches of the Empire? Ooh, the batch would never willingly make that trade, uh, <laughs> and nor they wouldn't. And I don't think Crosshair would allow it, even though he's kind of the snidely whiplash here. Uh, but I think I think it is entirely possible that the end of the season is a cliffhanger of Omega stuck at Mount Tantus somehow, right in the clutches of the Empire. It would resonate with. Uh, the, actually, it wasn't a season ender cliffhanger, but kind of midway through season two of Mando, right, where where Grogu got taken by the, the mm-hmm. Moff Gideon. And I think, you know, we know that this force needs to, the, meaning the Mount Tantus force needs to prove how dominant they are if they're going to be a convincing bad guy. Um, I also still think we're in store for a Sid 
turn. And mm. so we got a little more hint last week, not this week, about that Sid doesn't care. And so is Sid going to sell them out? Is Sid going to send them on a job that, you know, is going to get them captured? And then this finale will be, you know, break out of Mount Tantus. I, I think you're kind of leaning me towards, you know, my answer, which is I think they lose Omega temporarily again and gain Crosshair mm. back, which, you know, you could talk about the Crosshair redemption story. Although I did, like I said, I like the fact that he snapped, but not necessarily in a, hey, I'm going to go join the crew. He was just like, I've had it with you. Um, so it's going to be very interesting that everything is going to point him towards looking at things maybe a little differently and maybe even reluctantly uh, joining the batch. But I, I do think that I think we're due for a good cliffhanger. I think all roads lead to Mount Tantus and these next what? This was episode 12. So we have four more episodes, two, of course, being as he crosses himself on the same night as probably Amanda. <laughs> so we're in for uh, we're in for a fun march um, out there. But yes. All right. March Madness, March as it Mad- were. March Madness, that's a good way to put it. Can we just sort of end uh, as we get ready to talk about Mando going, how many Pringles cans are you giving the outpost? Uh, remembering that Sam Tashima rightly scolded me for undervaluing the last <laughs> Crosshair episode. I don't want to make a mistake. This is still not at the heights of the season for me, but... Uh, Nine. I thought this was much better than last week. I loved the surprise of the Zillow Beast, but this was this was real drama and you know just incredible storytelling. I love these episodes that yeah work in the larger narrative, but you could submit this as a short film and it would be accepted as kind of a small little piece of drama. You get everything you need right there. No, I agree. Um, you know when we do this, and of course, you know Sam's out there. You know he's going to be keeping an eye on you. Uh, but I would also give this a nine as well. I really like the drama. I like how they've pushed. You know, we really we really bought the story of pushing Crosshair to the brink in a way that's very Crosshair. And, you know, I really liked how that was put together. Um, Nolan was taken out, and it's always nice to see someone who's, like, really out, out there. You know, like, Rampart got his. Nolan got his. Um, <laughs> and that, you know... You know, I was listening to that that female doctor at Mount Tantus a lot more closely after us talking last week about is that potentially an Omega variant, uh, just an adult version. And uh, you're just like, so I I would like I would hopefully think that we will spend a little more time at Mount Tantus um, before the run up to the inevitable you know conclusion there, or at least of the season. So very excited, but it's a great uh, great nine nine cans. All right. <laughs> So let's get into Mandalorian chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. Uh, what a great title and uh, a very satisfying episode. I am curious of your, as we get this set, set for the second half of the uh, podcast, and of course, uh, following the Colby cast, we'll get you those uh, Laker scores just as soon as they come in. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> what is your first question on Minds of Mandalore? Boy, the Minds of Mandalore as a title sounds like it should be, should be a sea shanty or something, right? <laughs> I left me love in the Minds of Mandalore. Uh, yes. Uh, what an episode. I'm just going to preface everything I'm saying by saying this is all the material I thought was going to be the season finale. And it was episode two of mm-hmm. eight. So I'm really shocked at exactly what we saw and have some questions certainly related to that. My first one is a little strange. And let me preface it this way. <laughs> Where I go do errands, there's a Target, and there is a uh, a Walgreens right next to it, and that's where some of the prescriptions are and all that, even though Target has a pharmacy in it. We get this. Now, if I'm doing errands, I don't go to Target and then go off across town to go to the donut shop to then go to my next stop of Walgreens. When I'm at Target, I go to Walgreens and then I go to the donut shop. So I am going to preface all this by saying, like, the Pelly material has to be from last episode, right? Like, this has to be re-edited because it makes no sense that Din would do these things in this order. Am I crazy? Do you think that was meant to be in the premiere originally? You know, I spent a little bit of time today thinking how different this series would have been if Boba Fett, the the Boba Fett episodes 
didn't happen that way. Mm. And mm. if they had started with the two and and how you you know like would it have been interesting had we you know just started with him talking with the armorer and Paz Vizsla and then you know going off and and finding Grogu and things like that would you know the punch of this season rather than the episode we got which was a great placeholder right um you know it would have been interesting you know even if you went back to and and kind of redid a bunch of the book of Boba Fett and you know you had him there with Grogu but you didn't explain anything which would mm. have made us kind of go all right you know it, it's kind of interesting how it started but yeah i would say one uh, the Bunta Eve stuff was really well done, and it was so nice because, of course, you know, at some point later this year in the uh, Card Trader app, we have the Bunta Eve Classic, which is great because then you know you can you can pull cards and you can you know root for different races and things like that. It's always kind of funny to you know put up blocks and and things like that. But um, just to see it was amazing. But yet it did seem, and and I thought you were going to go to when. Grogu has to go get Bo-Katan, and you're going, <laughs> would it have been better had Bo-Katan just been there the whole time, and we could have skipped that part of the, <laughs> you know, because it seems like, you know, once again, this was a, a slightly longer episode, mm. but still very efficient on time. Any of this stuff seems, you know, any of these little side quests or characters, everybody's like, no, 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 let's, let's, we, we're, we're, we're going back here. So, yes, not only was that maybe a little bit of out of place, um, great so, because I think I, I was holding onto a picture of my redone shelf, and there is my R5-D4 next to my Mandalorian Pez dispenser. <laughs> and I'm like, boy, I called this like a month ago. Um, nice. But, yeah, I, in order to get R5-D4, whatever you want, but, yeah, it did seem... It seems odd, but then again, if you look at this episode, it seems like some of these pieces are interestingly put together. So that, that's that's what I have on that. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, and I mean, I, I hope that didn't come across as a mean-spirited question. It just seemed to me that we ended last episode right next to Mandalore on uh, Caledonia. Why would you then leave the system to go for the droid, right? Like, you put your errands in order, Din. Um so maybe maybe there's a little editing there. Like, again, the first one's a little short and this one's a little, little long. I can understand wanting to start this with a little breath of fresh air. It would have kind of ruined the mood at the end of episode one if you went from very serious Bo being moody in her castle to, like, jokey Amy Sedaris. Two flavors of this show I love, but they don't really mix together that well. Let me add just one more thing, uh, and some of it has to do with why R5-D4 is needed. Although, you know, did we really, did we really need IG-11 just to mm. determine if there were, if the atmosphere was fine? Although it's kind of funny because, you know, I think after years of watching Star Trek, you can just assume that the ships know how to, how to gauge the atmosphere. So you're like, really, we need a whole droid to do something the ship should probably do. It's like, oh, we're on a class M planet and da da da. Um, but at any rate, so I do see it, you know, they really press the point that he needed to check the atmosphere, and so we need the droid. And so, okay, you know, I, I, I kind of get that, but it was kind of odd that it's like, okay, well, I guess he could do, you know, like, so I guess, you know, is that just standard equipment for a droid? You know, in which case, you know, it's hard to say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think they're playing a little fast and loose with canon. Um, I think any time I knew a fighter in Star Wars the size of the N1, you needed the astromech to do the hyperspace calculations and so they've clearly set that aside and said, we don't need the droid for that. We can have Baby Yoda being cute in the back instead. Just point um, just point to the dot on the screen and you get right there. I love it. <laughs> um, so I think that and then I, the other thing that they're kind of playing fast and loose with is the idea that the, ar the Mandalorian armor can be sealed, which I think does go back to Rebels. Mm. The Mandos are out on the hull of the starship at one point but uh i i particularly liked a lot of the shows this week pointed out the ceiling sound happened when the helmet was put on the little boy in the ceremony but his hair was still hanging out of it so it's like how good a seal can that be if his hair is just normal hanging out there uh as a part of that so um yeah so i mean and again these are not serious complaints. They're all just a, a bit of fun. Um, it seemed to me that you introduced the droid so that you can just go say hi to Pelly and then you move on with the show and, and totally worth it. If that's the whole reason, if that had been like a, 
four episode side quest to get IG-11's memory cord thing and deliver it to the Anzellans and then start, I would have been grumpy, but no reason to be grumpy. It's it's a small little thing, and we kept everything moving, so I'm happy. And somebody finally cleaned R5-D4. I mean, if you are if you want to talk about shelf life, that's about, you know, it's 40-some years that R5's been waiting for a good oil bath, so... You know, mm. all the matter. And guess what? You know, looking for a new Black Series R5. There you go, kids. Hasbro, you're <laughs> welcome. All right. Um, I'm going to really lean into your um, canon, Mr. Ion Cannon, Ooh. because I need a lot of splaining happening to me. And it has to do with, once again, you know, I went on my rant last last uh, last show on Kalevala, and I, you know, I promise not really so much part two of that. But I was I was kind of curious as he was going through, and he's, hey, that's that's Concordia, that's where I grew up, and you're like, oh, really? Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, Kalevala. I'm curious. I'm I'm curious as far as like I, I guess it's never really been explained. Now, we, obviously, we've seen Mandalore, you know, wiped out, but I'm curious about Concordia and Kalevala. Now, obviously, they don't look touched, but I'm wondering maybe if Concordia, if, you know, why couldn't the Children of the Watch or um, Death Watch, I guess they got scared, they got, they got spooked off, or did Concordia get, you know, get what, you know, Mandalore got, or did they just concentrate on Mandalore as an example? So I'm kind of curious, you know, as, as far as those, why didn't they just stay there? Yeah. Um, so uh, this is I'm going to do my best, but this is not an area of canon I'm particularly strong on. I've, I've confessed before I kind of watched all Clone Wars once and, and missed bits and pieces. But I have heard a lot of talk about this lately, so I think I'm pretty good on it. So um, when we first get to Mandalore in the Clone Wars, Mandalore, of course, at that time is ruled by Duchess Satine, who has the incredibly good taste of being in love with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, and she rules the planet out. As a pacifist and the death watch is at that point just a rumor but then they assert themselves as essentially what we might call a terrorist sect that lives on the moon of Concordia and thinks that the pacifist ways of Duchess Satine are horrible and so they uh, plot and they work with a gentleman named Maul to overthrow the Duchess <laughs> and take over Mandalore. Now what's a bit confusing is that is eventually undone by Darth Sidious who comes smacks down Maul and it seems like it's the end and then Maul goes through a lot of trials and tribulations only to uh, connect all these criminal organizations and take over Mandalore again. So when Clone Wars came back, there's this second Mandalore time, a uh, second time Darth Maul rules Mandalore and he gets taken out again, as we saw it in those, in those episodes. And that leads to order 66 and all that. So as I understand it, the group that ends up staying on Concordia is the children of the watch. And while they might not recognize themselves as death watch, they are a totally separate sect from the mainline Mandalorians who are then eventually drawn together by Bo-Katan wielding the dark saber, which was given. And that's the problem given to her by Sabine Wren in rebels. So jumping from clone wars to rebels, I think we don't really visit the full planet of Mandalore, but I think if we'd gone just after Rebels, we would see Bo-Katan ruling all the Mandalorians, wielding the Darksaber, and there she is. Now, she uh, eventually uh, crosses the Empire, and they use weapons Satine designed to just devastate um, Mandalore. I think the Children of the Watch escaped the Empire's view because they were seen as separate and they did not go aid the Mandalorians. Mm. And Bo-Katan has had some dialogue, I think it was this week, where she says, we were so fractured that we could be taken over, right? Like essentially the Empire should have never been able to touch them, but the Mandalorians had spent so long fighting themselves, fighting the Watch, that um, the Empire could just sweep in and just you know pick apart the corpse that was left of the Mandalorian people. 
Now, Kalevala. <laughs> Beautiful Kalevala. Uh, that, I think, is largely empty. As I understand, it's the ancestral home of the uh, of the Duchess uh, Satine, not Sabine, Satine, because they added that confusion, uh, Satine and Bo-Katan, and those are, that's their family palace. And we do see uh, the palace of clan Wren in rebels and Sabine's family is around there. And so it Uh, seems to be that any of these outlying palaces or let's just say fiefdoms kind of are left to be because they're not a threat to the empire. The empire's point was a United Mandalore is trouble. So let's devastate it and let's just leave the fragments where they are. So, um, that is a rough approximation of what I know of Mandalorian history. Somebody, I'm looking at you, Jason Fry, you, I don't know, somebody like that. Not you, literally. uh, But uh, (laughs) I think would should do one of these guidebooks. That's just the history of Mandalore. Just walk us through, um, you know, all the stages of this. You could treat it like an in-universe guidebook. You know, Kristen Baver did the fantastic Skywalker family of war. Have her do the the War of the Mandalorians or something like that and have her go all the way through like it's written in universe. I think that would be fantastic and really helpful considering how complex this is all getting. Exactly. No, I think you really you really uh, punctuated that with the, you know, the outer, you know, the, the warring factions, these outer lying ones that weren't probably, you know, maybe the mainstream or they were just outlying weren't a threat and thus it didn't matter. The United Mandalore, which was basically on Mandalore, were the ones that got that got whacked. Makes mm-hmm. sense. All right. Whew. Um, I made you work on that one. Sorry about it. But that was just something <laughs> that was on my mind. All right. Well, let's let me jump in with a one that is not that, but is is a related question. Why did Bo help Din? Because oh. when that ship shows back up, it seems pretty clear if she's not going to kill him, she's going to end their relationship for good. And it seems pretty easy to just say, oh, he's in trouble underneath the surface of Mandalore. Oops. Bye-bye. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to tell you. And, and Bo-Katan runs into the same problem that we do every time we go to Target or Walmart and see the next Grogu thing. You can't resist the kid. <laughs> and this, Whether you're in-universe or out-of-universe, you know, if you see an animated Grogu, it, all right, I'm in. Get the ship ready. Let's go. Um, I thought it was also very interesting how she was trying to make nice with Grogu. We weren't always warring. I'm like, oh, Mm. really? You know, like, um, let's talk about a little bit about whitewashing this one. However, (laughs) comma. But yeah, I was very surprised. You know, know, we'll get to the other. There's a lot more meat on the bone for this episode, but I was I was going to. But I thought her reaction to Grogu you know, like I said, um, we have ours. She has, you know, so whatever it was. And, and we go back to our discussion last last week. You know, she has she has plans. She has ideas. Um, I don't necessarily know. I, I don't think she was expecting what she got. But I do think that well, she had nothing else to do. Once again, she's out there. Got got the Sono <laughs> system fired up. Plan Morrissey really kind of getting into the whole mm, just me. So, you know, maybe all, all you do is see something cute. There you go. Yeah, I mean, my only competing explanation is she said, oh, he got captured and is almost dead in the underworld. It would be a a shame if somebody went and picked up that Darksaber. Uh, So maybe that was her motivation. Let me go. Let me pick it up. And, you know, it would still not be perhaps how it's supposed to happen, but it, it wouldn't be a gift given. It would be picked from the bones and maybe... By Mandalorian rule, if she can slaughter the weird droidy guy, then then she would have a rightful claim to it. It's all very Elder Wand from Harry Potter, and in that mythology, the wand knows, so I wonder if the Darksaber knows in some ways. Yeah, and you also have to wonder if there's a Holonet version of, you know, TikTok where it's like, look what I got, look what I got. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us back because I did, you know, when... All of a sudden, we have the mention of my father. I had I had to go, you know, as Bo-Katan was saying, I had to go back in Wikipedia and find, um, and I'll probably brutalize the first name, is Duke Adonai or Adani Kreese. Mm. And she says he died defending Mandalore. Now, <laughs> it was... Um, it was written, and I'll just kind of take this straight from uh, Wikipedia. I didn't... I, I, quote, unquote... 
We do know that he died fighting in the Great Clan War, also known as the Mandalorian Civil War, which was a battle between the internal clans of Mandalore and their beliefs on how to practice the culture of their people. After he died in combat, Satin took over the Mandalore throne and ruled as a pacifist. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Bo-Katan talks about, you know, not really, you know, she was like, well, I did the ceremony of the creed, you know, it made daddy happy. But I'm also wondering, you know, because she, as of course we talked about last episode, she ends up with Death Watch. Apparently his death may have, question mark, split the family? Mm-hmm. Which is where we find ourselves in being in the Clone Wars with that that nice young man Kenobi with the with the nice armor. <laughs> yes, and I just want to shout out when she was like making nice nice with Grogu, it was like, go ahead and say Obi Wan Kenobi. Say I knew. O- just say, <laughs> say the word. I think it. You know, for the casual fan, it would just be too distracting, and people would get cynical on the internet about how convenient it all is. But it's like, no, you fought alongside him and Anakin and like you know I mean again she we know the actress was not in the room with Mark Hamill but the character was in the room with Luke Mm -hmm. Skywalker and could say oh I knew your papa so uh very interesting questions there um I think you have the exact right read on that right like um the family watched the clans tear each other apart and one went one sister went the route of we can never fight again and she had the throne and the other sister went the only way to survive is to be the strongest and I think that's what fueled Bo-Katan now it cost her her sister and by the end of her first Clone Wars arc it's clear she's made the wrong choice and I think she lives with that regret but it's also clear that she is still planning on might being the way to get back to the top of the heap and Mm -hmm. You know, the the phrase Mandalore, not the planet, but the ruler, the Mandalore, has changed a little in canon over time. But from uh, the Knights of the Old Republic game, Mandalore is the biggest, baddest warrior and is at the top of the heap. And now we've got this Darksaber mythology mixed with that. And also this thing about, I don't know, something called a mythosaur, which seems like it's (laughs) going to be relevant soon. Um, And I think all of that is entangled to say, you know, when we talk about the title of this show i think we're moving away from the mandalorian like the gunslinger to the mandalorian as in the ruler of mandalore and we'll see where that goes um so i'm gonna just slide into my next question and you can answer whatever else you have on yours while while answering this who is destined to tame the mythosaur Mm. because we know there is prophecy that somebody will will tame the mythosaur and rule mandalore once again I was struck, and this has to be a deliberate choice, Din Djarin cannot wield the Darksaber. He struggles. Every moment he's using it, it's heavy, it's unwieldy, he's not able to fight back, and he gets captured. Sure looked like Bo didn't have that trouble. Sure looked like Bo could wield that sucker no problem and had all the moves and was light on her feet. I don't know. If I had to say the weapon's choosing the leader, I think the weapon made its choice. Yes, and it does seem like may- maybe Bo-Katan's just better at playing hard to get with the dark saber, and so she's like, "Well, I don't care about it," and she's able to, you know, get through it. Where some, um, no, that's not, that's not right. But I do think that you know you could answer this in one, you know, one. You, I could answer it just the way she did when she saw our friend the Mythosar with the gasp. If you had the, if you had the, uh, the, the, the uh, captions on. I think that the Mythosaur, seeing that there, boy, did it reset some desktop icons on her computer <laughs> screen. Because now I think, if anything else, she's got a real, you know, hanker and now to go. Man, the pieces are there. The planets, you know, got a got a breathable atmosphere. Which I'm kind of curious. Did she really know? She mm. maybe she knew. Um, it certainly, you know, you can't get any communications out. The the upper atmosphere is still kind of screwed but the bottom one's certainly still there but yeah i think i think seeing that little you know and it, i i would say this is another one where when you're watching the mobile version you can't really appreciate that underwater sequence until you see it on a bigger screen and then you go oh man there yep there are the horns there's that and so <laughs> that was a great reveal at the end um but yeah i'm thinking like yeah i'm surprised that she can still handle it so well, but yeah, she took that droid apart in no time. And uh, if you're if you're scoring at home, 
was it 0 and 2 for uh, Din Djarin this episode as far as like, you know, um, that, that could have ended this series real quick. But anyway. Mm. Uh, really enjoying what you just said. A reminder that she saw the mythosaur. He presumably did not. He was passed out. And so she, when we're talking about those pieces coming together, she has them. He does not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, really curious uh, the way that uh, worked out. Also curious how the physics of that work that Din falls and falls so fast that she with her jetpack blasting down can't get. I, I don't know. It's a little funky. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being nitpicky this week, I suppose. Maybe I'm in a grumpy mood, but uh, it was very weird the way that was all staged. No, and and that did kind of like slice through, just like with the Darksaber, a couple of my, my questions, uh, because one of it was sort of like, did, did Din just really underappreciate, you know, the depth of the the waters of Mandalore. It would have been nice <laughs> if he would have had that information. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you know, that there wasn't even a, a, like a mythic little sign saying, you know, under to watch for undertow. That would have been super yeah. helpful uh, <laughs> out there. Um, maybe that was piece of the thing that was, that was broken off. But yeah, I was surprised um, that, but yeah, but see, here's something else. And this is going to kind of go, this is going to kind of slide into kind of my question, you know, I really loved how he didn't waste any time. Equipment comes off. He's like, this is what I'm here for. He is on program as to, you know, Andor. Um, Andy can't swim. Oh, Greg, what'd you do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was passing Uzi. What's it's on the way down. Um, But I think he, you know, do you think he went down? Do you think he knew that there was a drop off or did he just not see it? Because it seemed like, yes, you know, just to kind of tack on that. I was curious, you know, if you were ready to go down, you know, like sometimes like, hey, if you if you're in a pool and you you let go all your air, you can go down really fast as opposed to if you're not expecting it. But he was kind of like he felt like he was going down willingly and he was like, all right. So, you know, it's hard to me to think whether he went down so fast because he was going and maybe he didn't want to come back up. You know, did 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 redemption really did living really mean redemption? There's a question in there somewhere about did he really care whether or not he lived or not? Well, as long as he was redeemed. Yeah, well, and this funny idea that it's the living waters too that maybe mm. killed him. There's there's something <laughs> curious uh, there. Um, I. I think he I think his version of faith is not that he actually would have been thinking that he was potentially dying. I think his version of faith is that he trusted in the moment that he would survive mm-hmm. and that there was no way it would take him out. And, um, you know, right or wrong, I think that's what he went into the water with. And that's why that third step's a doozy uh, really <laughs> You know, it wasn't that he didn't just not expect it. It's just that he just had total faith that he would be cared for and uh, provided for. Um, So that seems like the right answer to me um, uh, for that. Um, Now, you're also right to note that when he's just so eager to get in, um, I thought one of the things that a lot of people were bringing back up about the the pilot episode when they were doing their coverage is this idea of returning to your programming. And I do think Din has returned to his programming, Mm -hmm. right? And that he's very much like, nothing makes sense to me anymore. So I'm just going to act the way I used to act when it made sense. And, um, you know, I think when I think about people like that in mythology and storytelling, I think that they're about to get a wake up call that there needs to be a new kind of leadership. Right. I mean, look no further than Luke Skywalker. He can't rebuild the Jedi order of the prequels. He has to build his new version. Obi-Wan love the, love the guy, obviously, but Obi-Wan and Yoda wanted him to kill Vader and the emperor. (laughs) They did not want redemption. And yet Luke used attachment to become the hero that he is. And so I think that's the model we need to be looking for for Din. How is he going to be Mandalore, but 
a new kind of Mandalore, a new type of ruler. And I think he's more suited for it than Bo to answer my question from a few minutes ago is I think it's still Din. And I think Din is going to find a new way. I just don't know if he has to go through or around Bo-Katan to do it. <sighs> it's, it's really interesting to see what comes next because it's almost like now, you know, you have team Bo that's going to be like, Hey, there's a mythosaur down there. I think we need to get going. And on the other hand, uh, Din Djarin, who by the way, does not have his ship here. So he, he rode, he rode on, you know, Uber, Uber, you know, Uber Catan. He's going to be itching to get back to the armor and join the covert. Now you're talking about like, you know, resetting the program. So it's going to be interesting how this, very next conversation they're going to have about, hey, I'm going to need to go here. Oh, hey, I think we're going to need to go here. Um, I'm, I'm just, it's getting near the end of the program, so there's less of a question in that. But it's now of a <laughs> comment of if we're talking about, if we're talking to the point about speculation, uh, that next episode is going to be super interesting to start. <laughs> um, well, and, and yeah, my last question here was just where does the season build? If this was what I, at least I thought was the season finale and we're there now, I like years, what happens the next day, but then like, where are we going after this and what happens? So uh, I think, you know, I'm really spinning on the fact again that you pointed out that only Bo knows what happened under the water. And I think the real question is, is she going to reveal that or keep it to herself? I think she's going to keep it to herself, right? She's not going to reveal that. She's not going to suddenly jump on his team because, um, you know, remember the first time they met, she said, you're one of those death watch uh, fundamentalists or, you know, uh, cultists. So I think she's got a lot of skepticism about his suitability for the task at hand. And so she's not going to just be on his team now. Um, and get him be a be a worthy lieutenant. In other words, I think she's going to force him uh, to act on his own or, or try to work around him. So, um, yeah. Where do you think the season's going since I answered the next day? <laughs> well, here's the other thing, too. It's like she can't necessarily if she lets him go back on his own, she's got zero chance to do anything. She doesn't have the dark saber. All she knows is that there's a mythosaur. So all she has that. And so, you know, she lets him go back. They're going to be, you know, armor is going to be changing their tune, right? Um, and and so now that they're going to be more apt to probably, because he's going to also tell them, hey, the surface of the planet is now livable. They're going to be like, hey, we're going to go back to Mandalore. And uh, even though there's that other great planet right there that could totally sustain life, and there's Concordia, <laughs> although why don't they, I'm surprised they wouldn't go back to, uh, anyway. Mm. So they're all going to go back to Mandalore. And yeah, so Bo's really got to do, do a little bit of political spinning uh, to keep him from just going, you know, back like a rocket. And she'd be like, yeah, you're redeemed. Uh, why don't you hang around here? Uh, you can have this whole wing of the castle if you want. Um, that no one else is there except us and the droids. But anyway, but yeah, I I think maybe we're going to have, oh my gosh, some politics playing out in the, next, in the subsequent episodes. And maybe, you know, we get our earlier question redeemed of, you know, why did they really need to move uh, two episodes to Book of Boba Fett? You know, maybe yeah. it's going to be clear at the end of the season going, of course, they had no room for them. But uh, who <laughs> knows at any rate. Two quick thoughts on that. First is they put out a fantastic poster that really made Din and Bo the same size. And I thought that was telling that when you're composing a hmm. kind of Photoshoppy collage image, either she's the main antagonist or the co-lead of this season. I think you could, you know, say there's some hints either way on that. On uh, the second point is uh, a couple of the podcasts brought up this week. How is Din supposed to prove to the armor that he bathed in the waters, right? Like it's, he needs it's to a really roof. funny question. Yeah. I, I mean, he wouldn't lie. And so maybe the armor just trusts him that he wouldn't lie, but it's like, do you bring a little vial? Do you like show some of your skin is like extra moist and supple now? Like, what do you do? <laughs> where is the Where is the universe's version of Instagram where you can just post a selfie of you going see? And hey. you know, we, we'll have to post that first part where I nearly drowned in the living waters. 
Um, and and then like in the back of the shot, there could be like you know like basically a photo bomb of the Mississauri, and then you go there we go. So you get like yep. you get like him, the dark saber Mississauri going. You know I can't say it today. It's getting late. Uh, like all that in the same shot, and you know shot, and they can be like anyway. All righty. So I'm going to ask you what's your Pringles can rating of the Mines of Mandalore. I didn't hear any complaints from anybody, but I will say we went lower than a lot of people. A lot of people had a lot of enthusiasm for last week, and I think we were both in the kind of let's wait and see how this goes and where we go up from here. I think it went up, so I'm I'm going to go solid B on this one. A uh, little bit, little bit messy, a little bit uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, did love the droid creature. I thought that was really original and fun. Yes. Uh, uh, so I'm going to go solid B. Uh, it would have been a B minus without the cool droid guy, which would be cool if we were on coffee with Kenobi because you gave the letter grade. However, we are Pringles oh. cans, mister. <laughs> I forgot which so, eight and a half, eight and a half. I forgot my conversion ratio. <laughs> you're, you're in so much trouble with Sam. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, yes, no, you never quite know when you're going to get the call. So you better have a letter grade there on t- in case you're going to get the call one tomorrow. Oh, shoot. I got to be on. T- um, at any rate, I think I'm right with you. I think both these were a solid nine Pringles cans. Um, I really, you know, you've got a lot packed in this episode. The visuals were stunning, uh, even with a couple of little like little side like really. Um, but once again, Bo just proved like we all all know Grogu is, you know, unavoidable. He's adorable. You cannot have the merch. So you you want the animated Grogu, whether it's the actual Grogu or, you know, whatever puppet you're getting from Walgreens that day. So at any rate, all righty. Now, if you have a question for us on anything we may or may not have covered, uh, in addition to any any NHL draft uh, news or uh, trade trade rumors or whatnot, you can reach out to us um, on Twitter, Hive, Instagram, or you can email the program greg at rebelbasecard.com. Uh, but Greg, where can they find you and what you're up to these days? Oh, thank you. Another fantastic conversation. So, uh, yes, I have been in my basement a lot this week. So you can find me on <laughs> Through the Glass Columns, my Wheel of Time podcast. You can find me guest starring on Jen Subchakchai's Oscar blog this week uh, at uh, thelongtake.substack.com. And you can find me... Brace yourself, Greg. I'm holding the desk. Ioncanon.com. <laughs> you got and a URL. You can find me there. Uh, it won't actually work if you check it right now, Greg, but it'll be up within a couple hours. Uh, the, the process is in process. Uh, but that will now link you directly to my stub, substack, which is ioncanon.substack.com, where I uploaded a bunch of my old blog entries that I like. Uh, and then I wrote something fresh about everything, everywhere, all at once, which is probably going to win Best Picture in a couple days. So uh, I would love to have some followers over on Substack and to help me build that community and promote that out. Uh, and uh, I hope people like my writing because I, I don't write enough. And so I wanted to have a place to do so, uh, hoping to do it at least once a month. So. Uh, so that's all my breaking news. <laughs> Congratulations. And yes, I think... It's so much fun because it's, you know, when we check in with each other, you know, like, you know, those of us who, you know, either you're on the thread or you're on one of the socials and it's kind of fun to really see what everybody's takes are. Uh, And I really love the fact that they have these platforms, you know, like like podcasts, like like Substack. And I think your Lego uh, Kenobi behind you. I uh, would make a pretty rad um, avatar for that. And I would also say, although I'm not going to say the date, I would say happy birthday to uh, to you <laughs> and to Amy Mulder, Mrs. a.k.a. Mrs. Daffron, who's coming up. Mm. I won't specify the date, uh, but we are very happy that things are, are working out uh, and that maybe she can get back in the United States. So there we go. Uh, maybe by next week we'll have a we'll have the end to, to that particular story. But um some great birthdays out there, and congratulations on that content um, that's coming up. Yes, by the time this episode gets out, that'll all be that'll all It'll be, be ironed out. Yeah, and you can spend an evening uh, working on your feeds like I was or this weekend on, <laughs> on my podcast that uh, needed some help. Anyway, so we are going to wrap this up for now. We want to thank you for joining us as I am looking for my outro here. Um, if we went longer, no, no one's going to be listening to this part because there's so many podcasts out there. So we're going to keep this night and tight, nice and tight. 
Um, but we're going to sign off and we're going to hopefully be back after episodes 13 and 19 and only a few more week, uh, weeks of having to do double duty and then we can really uh, get into the goodness uh, just with one and uh, keep this all straight. Anyway, so we're going to sign off for now and we're going to return you to your Star Wars podcast playlist and Substack already in progress. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Tops, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds, and any other related items, are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.